The phone conversation between fantasy veterans Bob Harris and Matt Waldman is a quick and dirty rundown of players, units, or teams from Sunday's games. Feel it or fuck it is our instant verdict on the fantasy value of a player situation, not the ability, effort, or character of the player. This is just how two old-timers in this industry talk when they got a lot of cover in a little time. Good morning, Matt Waldman. How are you this fine day? It's rookie minicamp time. I guess you're probably excited by that. I guess I would be, you know, <laughs> if I were someone else. I don't know, but it's okay. I mean, I'm I'm excited that in a few months we're going to be talking about football for real. Um, you know, even though I know every everyone has different ways of talking about football and it's for real for them all all year, all year long, but you know, practice, you know, it's one layer. We'll talk more let's, about that. Yeah, let's talk about the, the rookie mini camps, and I'll just kind of run through a series of highlights and you can break them down and do them separately or kind of I'm more interested in your big picture take on this. Uh, Bryce Young, he's still very small, according to the videos I've seen on Twitter. Also, uh, Andy Dalton will open as the starter in training camp until he's not the starter. Jameer Gibbs, got a tender ankle, Matt. That's very scary. Sam Laporta. Perhaps the best player on the field in Detroit, B. John Robinson, you'll be surprised to learn, is going to have a very varied role, right? They're going to line him up all over the place. He's very happy about that. Ty J. Spears does or not does not have an ACL. We don't know, and he doesn't really want to tell us. Uh, rookie minicamp news. Generally speaking, feel it or fuck it. Fuck it, you know. Or the 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 nice way of saying it is, I feel it as a layer of information. If you were to be someone who wanted to be really serious about tracking what's worthwhile. You get a spreadsheet yeah. with every player and you'd make a little note about what's said in the news and you would, and by the, <clears throat> by basically late August, early September, before it starts, you'd see how many news points are the same or building on some theme. And then you would have something meaningful there. Here's what you would find better, right? What you're going to find better is like who the liars are and how they lie. Yes. Right. Because and 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 I don't like limit that to coaches. I you know and and I'm being harsh in this assessment, lying, maybe representing their points of view that aren't necessarily the entire point of view, right? And you know, and this goes for you know me as an observer. There are players maybe I'm I back or I've tried to build a narrative surrounding, tell a happy story about that that I'll cherry pick information that maybe looks makes me look righter than maybe I am, right? And so. Over the course of time, and this should be a year-round process, it is for me, and if it's not for you, that's great. But you take all these pieces of information, you plug them into a big line of data, and everything I'm doing is just comparing what's been said to what's happening. So I know by the time the season rolls around, oh, I can't listen to this guy. He's never going to tell me the truth about a damn thing. Fuck him. Right? And so that generally applies to coaches, generally applies to players. But when you put it all together, there is some threat of truth. So, yeah, you, and, you know, you, you hear like Sam Laporte is the best player on the field in Detroit. Well, he should be. It's a rookie minicamp. He was drafted <laughs> highly. He's a talented player. He's out there right. with a bunch of scrubs and undrafted free agents. Yeah. Right? He better look like one of the best players out there or something happened. And if Jameer Gibbs had been on the field, maybe he would have looked like the best player, but he's got a sweet tackle. Why hurt it worse? So perspective people this is all a narrow band of information that's going to in part make up a bigger piece of information but don't take it as yeah. the be all end all except for the part where Bryce Young looks like a miniature human Matt 
scared. <laughs> well, my dog didn't like that. Apparently, my oh, no. Hugo is a Bryce Young fan. But I'll say this. it's it's Context is also important because you can have yep. someone like Paul Kuharski, who's a longtime beat writer um, for Tennessee Titans, um, worked at ESPN. I don't know if he's still there or not. But, not. Um, but he, I remember years ago, he showed a video of a footwork drill with Derrick Henry. And it basically showed Henry struggling to do the drill. And everyone was freaking out about how bad Derrick Henry's footwork was and that he's going to be a bust. You know, I had, I had Chad Spann, who is a former NFL running back, former CFL running back, and, and a, a, a very good running back trainer who basically went on, you know, I had him write up about the different running back footwork drills, what they are, what, and when, and how often new ones are inserted into a player's game and what that means. And really what basically the answer was is that um, just because you saw a footwork drill that somebody else does with the Titans doesn't mean that, you know, 98 other teams that a player could have come from in college actually was familiar with. And that he was learning something new and give him a chance to learn it. And instead of concluding that he doesn't have good footwork. And I think we saw how that played out. And that's the thing that we got to see here. A guy winning an, like Tank Bigsby, winning an angle route against a linebacker versus air, essentially, you know, in the middle of the field in minicamp and being quick and fast doesn't tell you nearly as much about him as a scouting report that shows what does he do in a loaded box in situations where he's supposed to file the play design and doesn't. We didn't see any of that in minicamp this week, and we're not going to see any of it until preseason. Right. Uh, local observer, uh, my good friend Mike Dempsey, uh, co-host of the Football Diehard Show on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. I suggest you listen to that on Saturday nights. Uh, it's pretty was that okay the place. Yeah. yeah, was that the Jaguars uh, minicamp? Obviously, covers the Jaguars as his day job. And one of his colleagues in the media was going, wow, that Tank Bigsby. Look, he's a big dude. Well, his name's Tank. <laughs> Probably got that somehow. Last name Bigsby. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Anyway, people, the rookie news, it's going to come. You pay attention to it. Put it in perspective as a piece of data in a long series Drum of data. Drum beats. Right, that's it, that's it. See so, salami, drum beats. We'll move on from that. But I will rem- advise you that part of that information process, part of your data set, should include the rookie scouting portfolios, both pre-draft and post-draft. You can buy them at mattwaldman.com, and I highly recommend you do that. Uh, right now, in fact, to waste no time, hit pause. All right. Now that you're back, uh, Sean Payton, <laughs> we'll go through a series of kind of semi-related things that are along those same lines. Look, what goes for the rookies goes for the veterans, and we're hearing Sean Payton suggesting Javante Williams could avoid pup to, uh, the pup list open camp. I don't know that that's true. Um, they have some IJP Ryan right now. So I've been drafting a lot in best balls. I have zero shares of Javante Williams. It was one of the few players. He and Alvin Kamara are like the two players I could say I've been studiously avoiding. Um, maybe this loosens me up a little bit, but I feel like that was a serious knee injury. There's been a lot of mystery, the reporting up to this point. There's been people suggesting they didn't even know if he would play this year. Uh, so a coach like Sean Payton suggesting this. Let, let's throw in Joe Douglas, the Jets GM, suggesting Brees Hall will be ready week one. I guess for me, ACL recoveries, are they a finite thing or did we not learn anything from J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and everybody else that comes along? It's a There's a period 
but it's not like a fixed period, right? Are we feeling that? Yeah, we're feeling that it's not a fixed period. We're feeling the, I'm not feeling the ready week one could avoid pup. What that tells me is that rehab is going smoothly enough, perhaps that they can talk about it. But even if the rehab goes smoothly, we've only had really one Adrian Peterson like recovery right. um, where, and I mean, how many backs can you think of that tear their ACL in December of one year, come back and in September and then nearly rush for 2000 yards or rush for right. over 2000 yards. I think I, at that point. So that's, you know, the answer is one. And so everybody else, let's remember there's compensatory injuries because players aren't always confident with the knee. They're confident enough to practice, but then when it's time to make the serious cuts and deal with situations that they're not can there, they, they can't practice because they're, they're scenarios that just, are unplanned that they have to show the confidence to make a certain move or plant with a certain violence. And it it's hard to tell whether a player really is confident or not in the knee, unless it's a glaring lack of confidence or if the player tells you at, in hindsight, and usually they only tell you in hindsight, in hindsight. I wasn't fully <laughs> confident on the knee. And um, sometimes like yeah. with Dobbins, there was some scar tissue that, you know, developed and had to be uh, dealt with, uh, and, you know, and needed another procedure. So uh, I guess the uh, feeling of taking all this with a grain of salt, much like the rookie news, it's a piece of information in a long series of information. Uh, use it like that. Like a research yeah. paper, baby. Right. You don't just like write the paper in one day and expect... Uh, with someone who's actually going to grade your paper seriously to go <clears> say, oh, you you did all your research of reading one book. Thanks for the one source for your research paper. You know, you need more sources. I would agree with that. So there are a couple situations, though, that are not injury-related that seem to be uh, of interest in, and uh, players that are still icy going in best balls but getting some value. Joe Mixon uh, in Cincinnati, there's a lot of talk that he will not remain a Bengal. Dalvin Cook, even more buzz that he will not be a Minnesota Viking when the season rolls around. So uh, let's start with the Cincinnati side of the equation. Joe Mixon, I mean, I think he can still play. What What's his outlook to you? Are you feeling him as a viable fantasy option in a uniform not called Cincinnati? I am if he gets cleared, but the fact that Cincinnati is not going to deal with him, doesn't want to deal with him, tells me that they think that this is a pretty serious situation and it's a pattern of behavior potentially um, if they associate it with what he did in, you know, out of high <clears> school um, in terms of violence or threats of violence towards women. Um, so that's how they're going to see it. Even if it's, even if the situations are very different, I, you know, I haven't dug into them to say, don't know. I'm just telling you that, you know, generally they're going to look and say there's threat of violence against women, inappropriate behavior at the very least to put it lightly. Um, and they're probably like, we're done. And other teams may not want to touch him either. And that means that if they do use him, it's probably going to be a, a for a much lower dollar figure and probably as depth rather than as a starter and then help have him prove that he's a good citizen. So the outlook to me isn't great. Like if you're going to take Joe Mixon, you're probably going to be taking him off of the waiver wire during the season. And then you're going to have that whole debate that like half of our fantasy analysts do. Will you take a player who doesn't who doesn't behave well as a citizen? And should you? And what should you do? And all of that kind of stuff that's well played out. And you know, 
I'll let you be the adult in the room and figure out whether you want to do that or not. For those of you who are listening, I'll just say that it most likely he's not going to be involved in a major trade as an, as a serious starter. I don't think for another team, I don't see the, you know, I don't see like the, the Titans going, we lost Joe Mixon and Ty J Spears. We need to get Joe Mixon because we're in a, in a Super Bowl run or something, you know. Right. I do think, though, we do see running backs get repurposed or let go by teams. And, I mean, Leonard Fournette's a prime example, you know, leaves one team, catches on like Garrett Blunt. We can point back to him and uh, and a number of backs that, that have done well. So I, I think, like, to me, Mixon is the price drops, you know, I'm still interested in drafting them. The lower, the cheaper the price, and this may be just part of how I – play fantasy but the cheaper the price the happier the more i'm feeling it and right now Mixon is going uh, you know i'll see him in the sixth or seventh round i think there's some value to be had there what if he's not there uh i think a lot of people view the rookie chase brown as maybe the next man up should he be viewed as that for seven still there i know a lot of people talking about travion williams right now too yeah there's going to be a lot of talk about travion williams but williams is probably going to have to show that he can win um, against at least indirect contact against a linebacker for me to feel pretty good about him. And he's had three years to, to have a chance to try and prove that, but um, we, or he's had three years in the league, but we haven't seen him do anything like right. that because he's mainly been a special teams end of roster practice squad guy. Um, Trayvon Williams can catch. He's a little bit more of a scat back. Doesn't have great contact balance. Not enough for, you know, only I think Marlon Mack and and Darren McFadden are the only two backs I've seen um, in the 18 years I've been studying college prospects that who've actually not been able to show the contact balance that you need minimum to be a good NFL starter. And Travion Williams hasn't shown that. So unless he's changed his ways, I think Chase Brown is probably... A, a much better bet and they'll probably be adding a veteran to the mix too after they get a load of of these backs you know probably during the preseason yeah i said that's safe bet so i think you know spending some capital it's going to be very late round still <clears throat> until we gain clarity i think if you're drafting early taking flyers on guys like uh chase brown is probably a pretty good idea in minnesota uh you know look this sounds like dalvin cook's pretty much out the door, right? I mean, uh, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN talked about it on SportsCenter this weekend that they're just trying to find somebody to take them. Miami's been mentioned. I've seen, you know, you go out on your Twitter and you can see him in any uh, any uniform you'd like. Uh, the Denver Broncos, which I thought actually makes a little sense to me. Uh, if my worst case fears of Javante Williams, uh, you know, is Samaje Pirine seems serviceable enough, but but maybe, maybe a Dalvin Cook or Dallas. I've seen a number of, <clears throat> a number of possibilities. So, First of all, Dalvin Cook, you think he has, are you feeling what he has left in the tank, keeping him viable in the NFL? Absolutely. He's the one that I feel the way you feel about Joe Mixon. And though Mixon's younger, um, and I think that if the if the rationale were different, like we just don't want to pay the contract like Leonard Fournette, we just don't think he's worth this contract, and we feel like we've got backs who can compete for the roster spot and play, you know, I would feel the same way about Mixon as I did about Fournette. With Cook, I feel that way. I feel that it's just more like we want to get out from under his, in under him a little bit early, even if we lose a good year or two on him of what he could have given us. We we want to avoid that. We've already got Madison. They're probably high on Dwayne McBride right now, even though I can't say that I am. Um, but they're probably going to be bullish about him. 
and they probably liked what they saw of Tyson Chandler, and they still have Ken, Ken Nguangu. Um, so they have some athletic talents on, on the chart. They have, they have a range of talents on their depth chart. Madison by far is that guy. I think R- Madison as a running back too in fantasy, absolutely buying that if Cook moves on. He's going to, and there's, and if the offensive line plays to its ability, he'll be, he'll be a sneaky good running back one. Right. I, I, and the money kind of suggests that that's the direction it's going. He got a new contract and, you know, it's guaranteed beyond this year. So that seems the case. Just for a little perspective, uh, Mixon currently, uh, I want to say running back 16, uh, last two weeks of best balls uh, that uh, ADP at best ball tens. Uh, I want to say Cook is 16, Mixon 17, Alexander Madison's 37. And uh, Chase Brown, by the way, is the next man on that list. The only other other Bengal on that list, and he's like running back fifty eight. I'll, I'll buy some shares if you, of that. If you flip flop, if you flip flop Mixon with Matt um, Madison at thirty seven, is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. Well, right now they're right now Mixon's still going sixteen or yeah. seventeen, and Cook sixteen. Yeah, and Madison's thirty seven. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you flip flop Joe Mixon with Madison, that's where I'm going to be probably when I when I start ranking players because I don't believe if they're going to get rid of Mixon, that's kind of where I think the value is going to be is that Madison's going to be more around 16 range, but that's just me. All right. I'm, I'm feeling all of that. And I think, you know, like, look, everyone has value at the right point in the draft, right? So, you know, prices are dropping on some of these players watch for that, but understand the circumstances they find themselves in. So you can better fuck them if you want to, or feel it if you need to. Um, so in San Francisco, I, look, I don't often agree with Mike Florio from pro football talk, um, but he does stumble across a few things on occasion. Uh, something he just kind of threw out there last night as he was taking some questions on Twitter was he, he feels like Sam Darnold, the, the, the 49ers are setting it up for Sam Darnold to be the starter if Brock Purdy isn't ready. That would mean Trey Lance would not be the starter. Are you feeling that? Um, as, a, as a person who doesn't feel Kyle Shanahan's personnel decisions very, very often, um, no, nah, I'm not feeling it, but I'm feeling the truth that it's likely to happen. Um, I just don't trust. I think Kyle Shanahan, again, the best way to put it is this, is that most West Coast, you know, Will Hewlett said this to me, who's the guy who's trained Brock Purdy, who trained um, Anthony Richardson and has worked with a number of quarterbacks, college, you know, high school and pro. And he, he says that, you know, as a former quarterback, he can tell you that West Coast offensive coaches tend to be a little bit more attached to their scheme to the point of that they can err on the side of what personnel to use with that scheme. And it's because they fall in love with their scheme and they see the scheme as an extension of them. It's kind of like having a narcissistic parent who kind of sees you as an extension of themselves as opposed to them as what the individual can offer to the table. And I think that with Shanahan, and it's been this way with his dad too, that if you if you disappoint them on some level early and, and you're not buying into what they want you to do exactly as the system dictates, even if you're good, um, they they write you off quickly. And I think Kyle Shanahan learned under his dad to be that way. I think he is that way. Um, and he tends to be, you know, he, he tends to write players off pretty quickly if they're not a fit for what he wants them to do. And he'd rather have the system player who does everything right but has a pop gun arm versus a guy who has a great arm and maybe equal scrambling ability and more playmaking skill, but 
maybe needs doesn't have the system you know executed perfectly as a manager and i think that that's why mm. darnold's there they're going to be trading lance i, I don't see that's how they're not <laughs> that was going to be my next question are you feeling trey lance at the san francisco 49er and i'm saying fuck no, that fuck also no. though kind of would like just you know to dig a little deeper on that i mean are you feeling or that approach or fuck it i mean the success has been reasonable i mean it hasn't you know they haven't won a championship but i mean they're they're in the mix every year is there something uh, what about that approach in general it's a good approach if you want to build a contender but what it means is that the rest of your team has to make up for the quarterback because let's face it brock Purdy played great last year but he played great considering that he was mr irrelevant and undrafted rookie and i had him qb6 i had him over a lot of guys i had him over malik willis i had him over desmond ritter um, so I'm, I'm a fan of Brock, what I knew of Brock Purdy, but the thing is, is that you're asking a rookie to execute and team, you know, and he has an arm that's just maybe good enough to be a starter. So when you're looking at that combination, you need to have a strong offensive line, a great running game, great receivers, and a good defense. So the rest of your team really has to be good. And that's sometimes hard to do if you don't. If you don't, you know, if you don't have a top quarterback to help you out, the rest of your team has to be strong. Well, for the Niners, that works, except till you get to the final games, because everyone wants to say you need a quarterback. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback for a system, but when he needs to, um, he needs to basically work path beyond the system in order to help the team win. He has to transcend what limitations the defense is trying to put on the system, he can't do it. He hasn't been able to do it. And when those key moments came up, it's those three to five plays per game. He folds like a house of cards. He's It's proven. It's, we've seen it. And I think that that's kind of the problem with the 49ers is that, is that it's going to be the scenario, and for Shanahan in general, his career is going to be made probably as that guy that – Fans are going to love because they've been good all the way up to a certain point, and then the ownership is going to be like, "We're going to get rid of them because we can't get over the, we mm. can't get over the hump with them." And then teams are going to, but then that team's going to struggle for years because they can't get. By the time they get the quarterback, now they don't have enough talent right. with the rest of the team and, that's and, moved on. You know, to be fair, they've done a great job of assembling the talent around him, whether it's uh, Christian McCaffrey. Or- George Kittle, Debo Samuel, uh, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, they're, and also on the other side of the ball, they've assembled a really good defense. So uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to like there beyond the quarterback situation. And I tend to agree with you. I think Brock Purdy. All you need is serviceable, right? Yeah. All you need is a little Shanahan out there uh, doing the Kyle Shanahan and if, things. And if he can, and if he can transcend what we know of him right now as a rookie and build on his game, and be a maniacal worker like Brady and get his arm a little stronger. Maybe he could be a Breeze Brady like type of player who suddenly now you're talking, you've got the right fit, but that means you hit on someone you didn't expect to hit right. on um, to do it. That's good. That's called good luck, people. Um, uh, still no timetable for Kyler Murray's return to action. So are you feeling a fuck in the Cardinals offense uh, in the interim? It's going to be Colt McCoy. We've got a kind of a. I don't know what to expect from this offense without Kyler Murray. I think Colt McCoy's been serviceable. Drew Petzing is in as the offensive coordinator. Jonathan Gannon, not an offensive coach. So I don't know, you know, Petzing has been a serviceable assistant. They had some success at various positions, but this is his first job as a coordinator. Um, 
I'm I'm buying a lot of shares of James Conner right now because I don't see a lot of other pieces doing well. But am I underestimating the possibility for some of these receivers, and most notably DeAndre Hopkins if he sticks around, Marquise Brown, and maybe the tight end position? I'm going for the cheapest receivers available for the Cardinals because I didn't have to invest much in them. Greg Dortch to me seems like a great play to to consider just because he played so well last year, and I know that he has to deal with Rondale Moore potentially as an issue as an option ahead of him, but Moore also has to prove that he can stay healthy. Um, and I think Dor- Dorch played so well in that role that I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if you're getting him in round 16, 17, or 18 in the 20-man draft, that's what I'm looking at as a feel it. The rest, too too rich for my blood right now with Colt McCoy at the helm. McCoy, you know, he may have a favorite or two, but unless you're looking at Hopkins and people are writing him off due to age, and I think they probably are, um, and that's why you've mentioned him, I think, is that, you know, if you're getting him in the ninth, tenth, twelfth round, maybe beyond that, you're not. Okay. You're not. <laughs> okay. Then you know, if you're getting him inside round seven, that's kind of pricey for me. I'm, that's I'm, that. I'm he's he's that. wide receiver twenty right now, going between Calvin yeah. Ridley and Terry McLaurin, ahead of Jerry Judy, DJ Moore, Chris Godwin, etc. So I take I take more I take more McLaurin and um, you know Ridley before I would probably take <clears throat> take Hopkins as much as I love Hopkins game. Right. I'll say, I'll say like, you know, one of the things I'm trying not to do this year is project, you know, maybe what I view as lesser quarterback play as an indication to receiver can't fare well because guys like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Amari Cooper, any number of them last year told me that was a stupid approach. Uh, because True. even, you know, look, I mean, ideal quarterbacks are, are obviously ideal for a reason, but that doesn't mean like less than ideal quarterbacks can't produce some offense. And and if you're getting value in those cases, that's great. In, in Hopkins' case, you're not getting any value right now. Uh, Matthew Stafford, throwing without apparent restriction. Are you feeling quarterback one upside at quarterback two prices? No, and I'm not feeling it. I, I love the Damn talent. It. I know. I love the talent, but it depends on the offensive line. And the problem is, is we're not going to know how good this offensive right. line is until probably about midseason. And at that point, it's hmm. going to be too late to trade them. You're not going to get any value for him in that in that respect. So, if you at a QB two price in a one QB league, I'm feeling it. As a QB, two QB price in a super flex league, probably not because you want somebody who is maybe a little more dependable. It just depends on where you go there. I just don't think the the receivers don't beyond Cooper Cup. Not feeling them. We talked about that last week. Um, and then on top of that. Stafford's older. The line has been weaker. I'm just not confident that he's going to be able to stay on his two feet. I'll say this. We've seen teams turn their offensive lines around quickly in recent years, and, and it's doable. Uh, you know, I know the Rams are making that effort, though, but it's a, it's a, it was horrible last year, right? They, yeah. they, need, they need to get something going. But uh, look, I mean, Matthew Stafford being on the field, I think that's worth something in and of itself in that offense, playing with Cooper Cup. I think, uh, you know, gives him some value. So he he, if he drops low enough, I'll, I'll, I'll have some shares. Sure. Uh, th- we mentioned Chris Godwin. I mentioned him going in the range. He was going in that same range as DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, the Buccaneers' new coaching staff is suggesting that he doesn't have to necessarily be that slot guy. He can, he can, they can save a little wear and tear by using him on the outside more. Um, this is another case where the quarterback situation might be keeping us from drafting guys like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans were. Not maybe sold on Baker Mayfield. They're definitely not sold on Kyle Trask. We don't know what the hell's going on there. Are you feeling 
uh, Chris Godwin is a frontline player. And let's extend it out to Mike Evans as well. Are, are you feeling that we're maybe uh, overplaying our hands and in, in, in downgrading their value? I think you need to downgrade them a tier, at least one to two tiers from where they were with Tom Brady at their height. Because that was the big plan for Chris Godwin was when he had Tom Brady. And I love Godwin the player. Um, but really, I would look at Baker Mayfield's, you know, games with in with Cleveland Browns receivers and at the end of the day I would say you're you're probably looking at in the same range that you would like to look at DeAndre Hopkins later um, and I would argue that Colt McCoy is a probably a, a better reason to to consider Hopkins than Baker Mayfield I you know look I I I'll, I'll just admit it I just hate Baker Mayfield's game um, you know, overall, and I'm just not a fan of it. So I, I would be staying away um, at this point. But if you can get a good enough deal, but Godwin to me should be after the 10th round and you're not going to get him after the 10th round. You're not going to get Mike Evans after the seventh round. Um, but I think those guys are probably getting a little bit overvalued. I, I would hope that better maybe, chance of Evans, I would say. If Trey Lance, if Trey Lance gets traded to the Buccaneers, um, I would be, I would have slightly more um, optimism than I do right now. Speak it into existence, Matt Waltman. I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. Um, uh, Foster Moreau, we've been wanting to talk about him. It's kind of been a, a, a heck of a story, a, a little bit of a roller coaster for him. He took a physical sign with the Saints uh, earlier this offseason and they discovered Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so he said he was going to step away and not play this year. Well, apparently he's progressing nicely because now he is stepping back. Not only is he signed with the Saints, but uh, Dennis Allen says that that he's uh, on track to be a full participant in OTAs and play. Um, if he does, are you feeling him as a contributor in the Saints offense? Totally feeling him here as a contributor. I wanted to talk about him, and I didn't know. <laughs> Admittedly, right. I brought him up on the list like months ago to talk about during free agency, but I was so knee-deep in the RSP that – Bob kindly reminded me that he he keeps track of what's going on in the news every day. And was like, yeah, did you not hear about Foster Moreau? And I was like, no, and explained to me what happened, which which made which was good made sense because I kept wondering why I kept he not hearing about him signing with anybody because um, he seemed to me like one of the best free agent tight ends available on the market. But now that he's reunited with Derek Carr, and I think Carr likes going to Moreau. I just don't think that Moreau was as high of a priority in that offense with when they had Darren Waller there. I think this year you're going to see a change where Carr and Moreau are going to be a, a, a good combination. And I'm totally feeling it because it was a surprise to Moreau that that he was even diagnosed. I mean, he obviously felt well, like he was feeling good. So if he was feeling good and he's still feeling good, that tends, that tells me they probably caught it pretty early. Yep, and he was able to get, and the treatments responded really, really fast. So yeah, totally feeling this. I'm totally feeling that this is fucking my Juwan Johnson shares that I have in early best yeah. balls. That's what I. That's what I'm feeling here. Ah, uh, there, there are the both the joys and the heartaches of starting your best ball season in February. I can tell you, people. Uh, uh, it's a it's a roller coaster ride, but you gain clarity and you figure things out. One of the things you figure out which I'm seeing now is which bye weeks or which teams that I've already drafted. I have everybody on one bye, which is what I'm after. I, I would like to lose one week of the year <clears throat> due to buys with everyone missing the same game. But uh, beyond bye weeks, 
what's the importance of preseason strength of schedule? Fantasy people bandy that about like it's a it's a major deal. I don't know that it is or isn't. Uh, I tend to think it's maybe like not that big a deal because it's last year's strength of schedule more so than this year's. So go ahead. Yeah, minus free agents, minus rookies, minus guys retiring, minus guys improving. You know, if you told me that if you told me that the Green Bay Packers three years ago were going to have a decent passing game because of Robert Tunyon, everyone would probably laugh at that. But Robert Tunyon was a big deal, him and Alan Lazard, but two players that were basically undrafted free agents um, who joined that club. And now now you think of them, their established names. So I think, to me, the importance of preseason schedule might be if you can look at the extremes. If the team hasn't had much changeover and they're really good, on defense or really good as a passing game or whatever aspect of their their play then you can buy into some of that if they're really bad same thing if there hasn't been changes and they're really bad probably can buy into that too so if you're looking at the out the extreme ranges of good and bad and that hasn't changed much fine but i would say more than anything um strength of schedule to me becomes more um viable as an analysis point as we get, you know, five, six weeks into the season. Right. It's a hair splitter, right? If I'm sitting there and I'm looking at players and I think these guys are valued exactly the same, but you know, I mean, there, there are tidbits on there that are interesting. Like the Titans having a very easy based on last year's schedule against run for the run. That's probably a good thing for Derrick Henry. If you were a little bit on the fence or you were worried about a decline for him, especially if you look at the last four weeks of the season where it's like super easy uh, for him. I think that, you know, I think those things come into play a little bit, but but yeah, don't put too much emphasis on people. It, we're drafting this year's best team, not last year's, and so using a last year's strength of schedule is is not like the most ideal thing. But uh, clearly has a place. Just keep it in proper perspective. Like like ninety percent of everything we've talked about today, Matt. It's all about perspective. I feel that, and I feel you, and I appreciate your time, effort, and energy. And uh, we'll do right it again. Right back next at week. you. How about that? Love right you. back at you. Love you. Bye.